Timothy, my son, you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings, what befell me in Antioch, at Iconian and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceivers and deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. thy spirit. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've got a brief pop quiz. Should be pretty easy. 
Why do you go to a doctor? And shout it out. To get healed, right? Why do we go to the gym? Get stronger, get in better shape. Why do you bring your car to the mechanic? Get it fixed. Why do you go to church? A lot of different answers. We go to church because we are broken and in need of healing. Just like in all the other examples. We go to church because we are broken and in need of healing. Period. End stop. That's the end of my homily. (laughs) But seriously, we go to church because we are broken and needing healing. This is the only reason that we go to church. Or put another way, the church only exists... God only gave us the church for one reason. Because we are broken and in need of healing. In today's gospel, we hear a parable of opposites. On the one hand, we have the Pharisee who is so sure of himself, who proceeds to list all of the righteous acts that he does, list them all before God to show his righteousness. And then there's the publican, who can't even lift up his eyes to God, but is instead asking for God's mercy. We know who the good guy and the bad guy are in this parable. As the hymn says from the Orthros, the Pharisee by self-esteem dominated, and the publican in repentance prostrated. Both approached you, the only master. But the one, after boasting, was deprived of the blessings, while the other, not speaking, was counted worthy of your gifts. Confirm me in such size as these, Christ God, since you love humanity. It's from the Orthros service this morning. At its heart, the parable is a lesson in repentance. Metania, as we know in Greek, which means literally a turning of the mind, a U-turn. I turn away from God, I sin, sin is missing the mark, amartia, and so I redirect, I go back towards God, towards the mark. It's fitting that we hear this gospel at this time each year because we have now entered the triodion, which is that period that leads up to and includes all of great Lent. So yes, it's that time, it's that time. We can prepare ourselves to begin this season of repentance, a time through increased uh, services, more prostrations, more fasting. The hymns themselves are more penitential. Everything is about repentance, about turning our mind back towards God. But it's not really even just a season of repentance because the church talks about us having a life of repentance. Now that sounds dreary. A life of repentance. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm beating on my breast, crying all the time? We know that the publican is the good guy, but actually to live that life of repentance, it's too hard. Why? Because being broken stinks. It's painful, it's shameful, and it doesn't seem to get us anywhere within the world. I don't want to admit that I'm a short-tempered father, that I'm a prideful priest, that I'm a selfish husband. Saying those words out loud hurts. And dwelling on it hurts even more. Why would I want to do that? 
But that doesn't change reality. I am broken. And I can't pretend otherwise unless I want to live in delusion. I'm broken. How are you broken? However, since it's too painful, what do we do instead? We focus on the things that we're doing well. Instead of my weaknesses, I think about, for instance, how I go on outings with my kids, how I meet with lots of people at church, how I'm a supportive husband, and I become the Pharisee. You see, the Pharisee, he wasn't lying. He was a faithful Jew. He was following the law of Moses. He was doing good works. So what went wrong with him? Certainly pride was in his heart, the way he talked about the publican. But the problem is deeper, which is that he refused to look at his own brokenness. Refused to see how much he had in common with the publican. St. Basil says that he forfeited his reward by his bold self-reliance. Self-reliance. That's the root of the problem. This is what we do time and again. Instead of seeking out, seeking to know our own brokenness, we choose to ignore it and focus on what we're doing well. We try to show God that we're worthy, that we are good, that we are virtuous. It's a desperate attempt because we always have that sinking feeling inside that there's a lot that's messed up about us. It becomes a neurotic attempt to hold up the good in us and turn a blind eye to the rest. I think of it as a horribly dirty garage. It's piled with all kinds of dusty things, stuffed with things, a total mess. And what do I do? I'm digging through it to try and find one little shiny thing that I can hold up. And I can say, here it is, God. Here it is. I have it for you. We're trying desperately to convince God that we are worthy. Our life in the church quickly becomes a contest of feats. We say, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to services. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm being charitable. Am I placating God? Does He think that I'm worthy of heaven? It becomes a giant court case. Can I convince the judge not to punish me? Can I convince him that I'm good enough, that I'm innocent of the charges? But we can't escape the sinking feeling that we're not good enough. Even the Pharisee couldn't. Why do you think that he was comparing himself with others? He wanted to convince God that he is worthy. In a bizarre way, we all really want judgment to be just like that. We want it to be a court case where we can plead our righteousness before God. That's what the Pharisee was doing. He was pleading his case. Why do we want this? Why do we want a court case, a legal framework? Because then we can just keep ignoring our brokenness and the shame that's associated with it. And we can instead focus on our virtue, just like the Pharisee. So then is it bad to be virtuous? Certainly not. But I need to be clear about two things. It is not our goal to be virtuous. And furthermore, we can't do that anyway. Now everyone's going, Father, wait a second. Isn't this the whole point? I'll say again, we cannot have virtue as our goal, or goodness, or righteousness, fill in the blank however you want. And furthermore, we can't attain that anyway. Our goal is God alone. God is our goal. 
And not virtue, not goodness, not kindness, nothing else. God alone. And He alone is the source of virtue. We can't do it ourselves. Virtue, morality, righteousness, they're all only the secondary outcome of pursuing the goal, which is God. We don't pursue virtue because it won't get us anywhere. As I said again, we can't get that anyway. They are only relevant, and in fact, virtue, morality, righteousness, they only exist and they are only relevant in relation to God. He is the source of all good, and we have no good in us except what God has given us. Think back of that image of the dusty, dirty garage, and digging around, rummaging to find a few clean things and hold those up, and say, look God, look at this. But those are things that He put there. Instead, we should be going around to all the dirty things and holding those up to God, saying, can you clean this? What about this over here? Can you clean this over here? This is how we get a clean garage. And this is the way of the publican. This is a life of repentance. To simply and humbly accept that our only offering to God is our brokenness. Our only offering to God is our brokenness. The realization of our own sinfulness. And this is the bearing of our shame. It's difficult, it's painful, it's shameful. I have to say, this is not actually dreary and depressing. Rather, it is profoundly freeing. We think about the neuroses of being the Pharisee, of trying to compare ourselves to others, trying to dig around and find whatever good is in us that God put there in the first place. It's neurotic. We can be free from that. We can be profoundly free because we can reject all of that and simply look at our brokenness and simply offer that to God. You don't have to hide things from God. You can be open with Him. He is eager to heal. Yes, it's vulnerable. Yes, it's exposed. But the medicine that you receive in exchange is transformative. And it will make you far better than whatever good you have right now. St. Cyril says that the publican, quote, showed his illness as to the physician. That's what he was doing. He said, God, here's my illness. You are the physician. Heal me. We're all sick. We go to the doctor's office to be healed of sickness. We went to the doctor's office in the same way that we often approach our spiritual lives. We'd go make our appointment. We'd show up, wait in the waiting room, get into the room, wait some more, and the doctor comes in and he says, So why are you here today? We say, Nothing, I'm good. Well, why are you here? I just wanted to show you how healthy I am. And then we walk out and leave. And the doctor does nothing for us. It's not our job to be our own doctor. It's not our job to try and build up virtue in us. It is our job to pursue God, and through that we receive virtue. Yes, the two are interwoven. I'm not trying to make too much of a dichotomy. But we have the opportunity to be free, completely free, of all the judging of others, of all the measuring of ourselves, of all the trying to find virtue in ourselves, of comparing ourselves, of pleading our case before God, all of that can be gone. And the simple answer is, be humble. 
St. Anthemos of Chios, who is one of our recent saints, uh, he said, humble-mindedness will bring all of the virtues. Will bring the virtues. Not humble-mindedness is the chief of the virtues or is a really important virtue. It will bring the virtues. What is humility? Looking at how broken we are. As we look at that, the virtues then come to us. So I tell you, be free, be humble, and God will work those miracles in our lives. He truly will. Repent, for the kingdom of God will then be near to you. Amen.